0: Do you remember your first taste of freedom? If you were young enough, that excitement likely came with the belief that you're invincible, that nothing bad would ever happen to you. In fact, I remember never even thinking about it, just acting. But we were lucky. We're still here to talk about it. Natalie Holloway, on a high school graduation trip with her classmates and chaperones, did not, and her name is now inextricably linked to Aruba and the tragedy that unfolded in May 2005. Today, I'm going to tell you about the desperate search made even more difficult by conflicting facts, suspected corruption, and painful glimmers of hope. I'm Laura, I'm here with my two best friends, Colby and Marina, and this is Grimm.
1: about to question all of my childhood decisions and wonder how I'm still alive. I know. Yep.
2: yep. Cases like this make me wonder the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I, in fact, we'll get
0: into it, all, obviously, all the details, but I actually went to Aruba two years after this happened. And I remember I had heard all about it. I People talked about it. And I went with a friend and her parents who had a timeshare. So it was it was pretty locked down and still I was not phased. Not at all even with this story having happened just two years before.
2: No, you were invincible, like exactly. you said.
0: How yep. old were you? Uh, I was 18. It was my freshman year oh, of college. Yep. Oh, yeah. Invincible. Nothing
2: yep. bad happens to 18-year-old college students. It can't.
0: No, especially when you go somewhere where the drinking age is 18. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. no, I didn't no. know that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, So before we get into that, I just have to acknowledge that I really wasn't kidding when I said I love to copy what Colby does for cases because she just did an unsolved case. So now I must do an unsolved case with a missing person. And um, if you haven't already listened to Colby's case on Jason Landry, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite episodes to date, actually. Oh, thank you. And I'm glad
2: glad I inspired you to do an unsolved. (laughs) And
0: I'm so sorry to all of our listeners who are like, damn it, Colby. i know now this one i would say is more solved than jason landry's um but it is it's tough it is a tough case and infamous um so i'm i think most folks have heard about this i will also say that i did choose this case prior to knowing what yours was but still i must follow you
2: it it is infamous but it's one of those cases again where i know her name Mm -hmm. and i know she went missing when she was in Aruba. Yep but that's about the extent of what I know. That was also
0: all I knew. Um, and shout out to our Discord uh, folks who had made the suggestion for this case because I was kind of deciding what next case to do. So thanks for the suggestion.
2: Awesome. Thanks, guys.
1: And if you want to get on our Discord, you can just go to Patreon and search Grim A at True Crime Podcast. Thanks, Marina. You're welcome, Laura.
0: Up next on our site. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So as I said, this is an infamous case. And as a result, the amount of content to consume was nearly endless. I read through, and I only know this because, so just to give you a little peek into how I do my research, I do start on Wikipedia, but I go down to their sources and I open every single one. um, And there were like 200 just on Wikipedia and then I did a whole bunch of other searches and all that. So that was fun. And those were all the way back to 2005, of course. So shout out to the Wayback Machine for preserving oh, yeah. all these articles. Um, but what I found reading through these was inconsistency after inconsistency. Mm. And I think that's just largely due to the fact that this was an unsolved case or is an unsolved case. And so the theories out there are just that.
1: Yeah.
0: We know how it goes. You know, yep. somebody reads something, they don't check the source, don't realize that it's not truth, and then they repeat it as truth and so on and so forth. So I don't want to do that. I did check and cross check everything. I think I start every single one of my cases like this, but I feel like it's really important to remind people that this is. We try really hard. We do a lot of research, but we're not investigative journalists. And by the way, they get it wrong too. When the facts are confusing there's different stories out there, that's what happens. So just like to put my little disclaimer out there.
1: The truth is out there. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Thank you. Do, do, do,
0: do. Okay, I'm right <laughs> done. <laughs> so as we always do, I'd like to start with telling you about the main person in our, in our case today, Natalie.
2: Yeah, let's meet Natalie.
0: Yes. So Natalie Ann Holloway was born in Memphis, Tennessee on October 21st, 1986 to parents Dave and Beth Holloway. Two years later, she was joined by her brother, Matt. At some point when the kids were young, the family moved to Clinton, Mississippi. Her parents then divorced in 1993 and Natalie and Matt lived mostly with their mother. Beth met George Jug twitty in 2000 <laughs> love it that's a name it is a name and that is how he goes and this was mississippi uh yeah okay. Yep. i accept that yep well and then they moved to mountain brook alabama i so. i
1: accept yep. twitty there as well yeah yes <laughs> and not that's what got you not jug well i forgot i forgot <laughs> the middle <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was very Southern, but I couldn't remember (laughs) exactly what it was,
0: but I could remember Twitty. So Mountain Brook, where they moved to, is a wealthy suburb of Birmingham, Alabama, and Natalie's father also remarried. From what I can tell, decent relationship, and the kids still saw their father. Uh, They attended the Mountain Brook school system, beginning when Natalie was in eighth grade and Matt was in sixth, where Beth also had a job as a speech pathologist. Dave worked at State Farm Insurance, and it really would not be a grim episode <laughs> if someone didn't talk about insurance. You had so. to squeeze it in. Yeah, yep. I had to mention that.
1: If we can't find it, we're like, somebody worked there. All right, let's look up. Uh, and that's job <laughs> yeah, Job <laughs> histories of... Yep.
0: yep. But Natalie broke our cardinal grim rule. The five foot four athletic blonde with blue eyes lit up a room. Mm. Um, you can do that.
2: No, no, don't recommend. Be mean. <laughs> Be mean, it saves lives. But it's not so mean that you're Liz Gullier slash Shanna Gullier slash whatever you want to call her. Exactly.
0: So Natalie quickly developed two close friends upon arriving at Mountain Brook, which I personally think says a lot about her at that age. To move and then create friends, so this was 8th grade for her, is yeah. really hard. Outgoing. Yes. These two friends, Claire and Mally, say that she was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz and her dog, Macy. I thought you were going to say Toto (laughs) and And her little dog, (laughs) Macy. (laughs) Natalie was a great jazz dancer on the school dance team every year, and she was careful, not a rule bender, and she was smart, always getting good grades and offering to help others. She was a member of the National Honor Society and planned to attend the University of Alabama on a full scholarship studying pre-med. Wow. Yeah. She was a helper across the board. She worked weekends at Mally's mom's food store, which employed autistic adults. And Mally says Natalie was their favorite coworker.
1: Oh,
0: yeah, exactly. I told you she broke the grim rule. Yeah. You can't be like that.
1: Yeah. yeah the, the assholes never get
0: gone. I was going <laughs> to say
1: murdered, but this never is a non-solved case. Yeah. They
0: never get gone. No. No. Do not light up a room. We keep saying it. <laughs> Being such an accomplished, responsible young woman, it was no surprise that Natalie was allowed to attend the high school graduation trip to Aruba, a yearly tradition for students at Mountain Brook. That's pretty serious. It's pretty sweet. It is, I said, a wealthy suburb of Birmingham. So it's just, I guess that's what you do for high school is go to
2: Aruba. It's pretty Sounds cool. awesome. Uh, I didn't,
0: yeah, I didn't actually, go to Aruba for high school. No, <laughs> I did not. No. But 125 seniors did from Mountain Brook, accompanied by seven chaperones. They left on Thursday, May 26, 2005, to spend five days on the Happy Island. Now, 2005 doesn't seem that long ago, at least in my brain. But it was a pretty different time, so I have a few grim facts to put you in the mindset of that year.
1: 2005 can vote, so.
0: Oh, the year can vote. (laughs) Oh. Oh. (laughs) But it can't
1: drink. It can't drink, but it can buy lottery tickets. It It depends on
0: when its birthday was, because it's only January 10th, so most of 2005 can't vote. But But some some of
2: (laughs) of 2005
1: can vote, fight in a war, buy cigarettes, and buy lottery tickets.
0: Sober.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And now Laura is going to tell us things that are going to make us feel real fucking old, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Mm Okay. Okay. So
0: YouTube and Reddit launched online for the first time, and (laughs) Facebook had just come out the year before. Oh, no. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Friends wrapped up its last episode the year before, and The Office, the one with Steve Carell, debuted in March. Oh,
2: wow. Oh, my gosh. I vividly remember watching the debut of The Office. Oh, that was Mm -hmm. so long ago.
0: (laughs) Maybe you'll remember this one. Carrie Underwood won American Idol. No! In Mm -hmm. 2005? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. This one will get you. The best-selling mobile device was the Motorola Razor. I <laughs> fucking knew you were yep. going to say that stupid razor. Oh, yep. my God. You were so cool. Followed by the Nokia 6230 and the Palm One. If that doesn't scream wow. 2005, Wait. I don't know. Oh, what where's that my
2: T-Mobile sidekick? I'm looking I for know. that it one. Wasn't,
0: it was probably on the list. I just
1: didn't put it here. Oh, man, the razor. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I oh had
2: one. You I weren't it.
1: You were a nobody if you didn't have a razor, exactly. which I never had. I was, an, I was a big nobody.
0: <laughs> well, you I. guys are in the presence of greatness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never You're had welcome. Them. So iPhones actually wouldn't be released for another two years. Oh. Now on to more relevant points. This <laughs> <laughs> that was relevant. A, well, the cell phone actually is a little <laughs> bit relevant, only a tiny bit, but. <laughs> This was just two years after Elizabeth Smart had been found after being kidnapped for nine months, and it was also in the midst of the Michael Jackson allegations, so cases in the news were big.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was also the year that Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. Oh my gosh, the media must have been having a feel. They, yes. they didn't
1: even know what to focus
0: on. Yes, They're and, like, there's too much tragedy. And there was a bit more to, to latch onto, but you are spot on. Mm. So now that you're hopefully better prepared to either remember or imagine, if you're young enough, what it was like in 2005, let me also set the context of the location. Aruba is a constituent country in the kingdom of the Netherlands, which naturally I had to go get a clear definition of what that was. A constituent country is somewhere between a state and a sovereign country where the territory has some autonomy and ruling, but follows the politics of the kingdom. So the best example is the UK. So within, well, not the UK itself, the kingdom. And it has three constituent countries, Britain, Wales, and Scotland. Tourism is Aruba's largest industry, seeing over a million tourists a year, Nearly 75% of these people come from North America, but despite the large number of tourists, the crime rate is actually very low, like single-digit murders and rapes reported in a given year kind of low. Oh, wow. Who wants to commit crime on such a beautiful tropical island? And they're all employed. The unemployment rate is less than
2: 1%. Wow. I think Aruba's slogan literally is one happy island. It is. That's why I said
0: that earlier Um, on. Yeah. It is. is. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. About 72,000 happy people live in Aruba, which is located in the Caribbean Sea, about 18 miles north of South America. It's a small island. It's only 20 miles long and six miles wide at its widest point. Most of the hotels and resorts are on the western coast due to its calmer waters protected from the rough Atlantic by the island. And indeed, this is where the Holiday Inn was located that Natalie and her classmates were staying in.
1: Hotel, motel, Holiday Inn.
0: Do you know I said that every single time I wrote Holiday Inn? And I was like, not appropriate, Laura, not appropriate. How could you
2: not say it, though? Yes. I love people.
0: Yeah. yeah. you. Love- I thought you said I love people. I was like, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I love lamp.
2: <laughs> Do you really love lamp or are you just saying you love lamp? <laughs> I love lamp. I love lamp. Anyway,
0: <laughs> we
1: digress.
0: Really? It was a solid week of making memories for the students and then subsequently losing them thanks to a little too much alcohol, mm-hmm. since, as I said earlier, the legal drinking age was 18. Though most of the bars didn't bother to check
2: IDs anyway. Could you imagine being one of the chaperones on this trip? Like, you got to be a special person. (laughs) These kids are going to get wild. (laughs) From what I can tell, that
0: is exactly what happened. And that was what was allowed to happen. Mm. So I saw interviews and reports that the students were not going to be allowed back into the holiday Inn the next year. And they were constantly out. People were too sick to go to breakfast. It was just... Everyone had basic I I actually don't know what the point and this is not an insult to the chaperones, I just don't know what the point I don't know what they did. Right. There was no people were switching rooms, going to different rooms every night. It was chaos.
2: I agree
1: with you that it takes a special kind of person to be a chaperone on a trip like that. But I would assume, I would assume, which you know what happens when you assume, mm-hmm. but I would assume that the rule of the trip was that you cannot drink because it's a high school field trip and yeah. the drinking age where you're from is 21. Mm-hmm.
0: I do think that was the expectation.
1: Them. They let them. That's, That's crazy. Yeah. That's
0: interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Yes. It is. It is a grim fact. Interesting. Wow. Grim fact. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the flight home was Monday. was scheduled for Monday morning, so most of them chose to pack their bags the night before so they'd be able to sleep in as late as possible. That night, that last night, Sunday, May 29th, Natalie and her friends spent some time in the hotel casino because it was also legal to uh, gamble at 18. Was there a point to this school trip? Celebrating I- graduation. They had done it years before. Like It was a tradition for the school.
1: That's so interesting. I just I can't <laughs> understand. We, like I can't understand because it's it doesn't exist in my universe.
0: It's not like a school sponsored trip. It's I think it is just that they, at least I don't believe so. Oh, it's when like, so they, they pay discounted. For it. Oh, like I a, don't. Th- I know. Okay. I think that I think the students okay. and parents but rather it's like, like discounted group I, rates. I don't think. I mean, maybe a group rate, but I don't think it was through the school. I think it is just a tradition that the that the seniors go to Aruba but they're chaperones that sounds organized to me I will let you know that I didn't get all of this information (laughs) on like what release forms were sent home to parents and who said what um we're really clinging to like the least important shit I got 15 other pages I will say I will say though that Natalie's father was actually against her going and it was his mo- her mother that was like, no, she's responsible. It, all the yep. kids do it. Back to the night of the 29th, it was in the casino that Natalie encountered 17-year-old Joran Sloot, who was a regular there. Joran joined the seniors on a trip to Carlos and Charlie's, a bar in the capital of Arangistad, about a 15-minute drive away. When the bar closed at 1 a.m., Natalie's friends witnessed her leaving in a car with Joran and his two friends, Deepak Kalpo who was 21, and his 18-year-old brother, Satish. This was the last time anyone saw Natalie.
2: Mm. Why would she go alone? I don't know. Buddy system.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. And I don't know, I'm not blaming any of her friends by any means, but I don't know why no one was
2: like, that seems like a bad idea. Well, I think where I was kind of going with that was she went on her of her own free will. Like, she wanted to go with mm-hmm. them. Okay. Yep.
1: I can see it happening, though. Mm-hmm. You're 18. You could have a friend say, I don't think that you should go by yourself. True. And she's like, go back, go back. I'm done. Like, I'm going. Don't
0: worry about mm-hmm. it. Like, it's fine. They're yeah. nice. I met them. And they had all been talking way earlier in the casino and then separated and then gotten back together at the bar. Okay. So it, in 18-year-old world, that's like 10 years. So
1: And yeah, when you're 18 and you meet people on vacation... You just wander just away with mm-hmm. strangers. Like, and he
0: was 17. He's, yeah, he's not right. a creepy old man. I mean, right. he's a 17-year-old their age. So, um, And even 21 and 18 isn't that Close enough. great of a... And I'm sure she didn't know that was their ages at the time. Right. But the next morning, Natalie's roommates notified one of the chaperones, Jody Bearman, that Natalie had not come back to her room the night before. But her passport and luggage, including her cell phone, were all there. Now we think like, oh my God, how would you leave your cell phone yeah. there? But she didn't bring it out. It, this was 2005. She, I don't know, she had a Nokia or a razor. She probably had a Razr. Um But it wasn't the norm to bring your cell phone with you everywhere. And she's international. So it's going it's to cost a lot. You're yeah. not going to go text or call your friends. Right. Probably weren't even texting actually. You, were well, you T9, prob- you were T9-ing. You probably had it on airplane mode and were
1: just using it as your uh, one megapixel exactly. camera. Exactly. No, they
0: probably had the digital, separate digital cameras, I bet you.
2: Oh, yeah. <gasps> the Nikon. Yeah. Nikon cool shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I was
0: re-watching um, Laguna Beach and The Hills and they most definitely had <laughs> digital cameras like separate out <laughs> in the bar that oh they brought gosh. with them. Oh, my yep. gosh. Anyway, so she didn't have her cell phone. After a fruitless search, Jody contacted Aruban police and called Beth, Natalie's mother, to make her aware of the situation. A few hours later, the other 124 seniors boarded the plane to return home without Natalie. Now, Beth knew Natalie was a responsible person. There was no way she would have purposely missed that flight. Beth was immediately convinced that Natalie had been kidnapped or worse. She called 911 to report that her daughter was missing in Aruba and that she needed help. She said she was driving at 120 miles per hour and no one could stop her. Uh, She did get pulled over.
2: uh, (laughs) Except for that guy.
0: But the state trooper was actually really helpful and put her in touch with the FBI. Oh. The same day, a family friend arranged a private jet for Beth and Jug to fly down to Aruba that evening to look for her. Wow. Yeah. It's good to have good friends. Dave, Natalie's father, remember, caught a flight the next day. He didn't quite make it onto the private jet. I actually don't think it was intentional. I think it was... I think she quite literally dropped everything yep. and yeah. flew down. It was
1: like you're on this plane or you're not exactly. coming. Exactly.
0: Through classmates' accounts and the fact that Jug's nephew, who had also been on the trip, had happened to play poker with Yuren and knew his name, Beth determined that Yuren had been the last to see her daughter. Unfortunately, the night manager at the hotel also knew Yuren, and he said that he knew that the teenager liked to harass young female tourists. Oh, no. Yeah. Beth and Jug went around everywhere showing Natalie's picture. They also got help somehow from Charles Crows, an Arubin who owned a local cell phone rental company. I'm not sure how he heard of this or got in touch. I don't know how he appeared. Uh, but it was Charles who, in searching near the hotel, came across a group of teenagers who happened to know Urine and provided his home address. Charles, Beth, Jug, and their friends, and now two Arubin police officers, arrived at Urin's. And I'll note here that the order of events and related details vary slightly from a couple of the interviews that I read, but this is the gist of what happened. So they questioned Yurin in the presence of his father, who happened to be a newly appointed Aruban judge. Yurin admitted that he left the bar with Natalie and that they went to see a lighthouse, but that he and his friends dropped her back off at the Holiday Inn at 2 a.m. Yurin said she stumbled as she began to walk up the path to the hotel, but rudely declined his offer to help. As he was getting back in the car, Joran says he saw someone who looked like a security guard approach her from the hotel. Hmm. So Joran was insistent on his story and offered to show them exactly where he had left her and point out the security guard he had seen. So they all went back to the Holiday Inn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I know some of this. Mm -hmm. It's ringing a bell. Yep. Uran said Natalie had gone into the lobby, but Beth had actually reviewed the hotel security footage from that night and Natalie was never seen re entering the lobby. Okay, good. I was going to ask you if they had security cameras that were functioning at the hotel yes, that night. But they told basically nothing right. because even though they hadn't seen Natalie come in, it should be noted that the way the hotel was set up, Natalie could have gotten into the building where her room was by going outside, not necessarily through mm, the lobby. Okay. Regardless, we we know she never made it back to her room. As far as identifying the guard, after a show of asking around, Joran couldn't find who he was looking for. Mm -hmm. Could have just not been working. It's a different day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who knows? By now, it was nearly 5 o'clock Tuesday morning. Beth had been going nonstop for 24 hours. The police told her to catch a couple hours of sleep and that the detective would be back to talk with them around 8 a.m. How could you sleep? Yeah. I'm sure she didn't. Mm. Three hours later, the detective arrived as promised, but told him he didn't have any questions and left again. Hmm. In the brief conversations that followed, police told Beth things like, Natalie's probably just out partying. Or, if they go to ladies' night at the bar, she'll probably show up. So this is, I'm telling you, I copied your case. Because it feels very, very similar to when the police were judging Jason for God forbid he had drugs. God forbid Natalie was out partying, you know, they didn't take it seriously, it seemed. And missed her flight back home right. with her yeah. whole group? Right. Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I could imagine, okay, if somebody had raised the concern at 1am she was not back, or 2am she wasn't back, but to miss a flight, I something bad must have happened is right. what I would be thinking.
1: Or even if it's not, not the day they're leaving, like the middle of the trip or whatever where it's like not the next day they're like oh well you know she's just off somewhere doing whatever but
0: yeah so the police did agree to help um before natalie was officially considered missing because it had been less than 48 hours but they were definitely lacking the urgency that beth and jug Mm. expected Mm -hmm. and the worried parents were not afraid to show it this was actually the start of a deepening divide between the twitties and the aruban police natalie's family and friends were on their own Almost. Beth had thought, to, she was very resourceful, she thought to go to the local paper run mm. by Julia Renfro, who had been born in America. So on June 1st, two days after Natalie was reported missing, Julia and one of the paper's reporters, Angela Munzenhofer, helped to organize the search party comprised of hundreds of volunteers from Aruba and abroad. They combed through the island, which no longer seemed so tiny. Mm. There were so many glimmers of hope. I oh. cannot imagine how excruciating these first few days were. On Thursday, they received a tip saying that Natalie was being held at a location that would be disclosed if they received $4,000. So the family immediately scraped up the money in cash and arrived to find a crack house. And no Natalie. Oh. The next day, a girl that looked exactly like Natalie was spotted stepping into a car on the other side of the island. After a hurried chase, the passengers of the car were brought to the police station, and you already know, it was not Natalie. Mm. But they continued searching. They were even able to work with the Dutch Marines to obtain a search helicopter, and the Aruban government gave 4,000 civil servants a day off to help with the search. Wow. Finally, there was some legitimate progress. On June 5th, authorities detained two security guards of a nearby hotel based on Urin's claim that that's who he saw last. 30-year-old Mickey John and 28-year-old Abraham Jones were arrested on suspicion of first- and second-degree murder and capital kidnapping, the latter of which is invoked when the kidnapping victim is killed. Mm. So both men worked at another hotel, the Allegro, two blocks away, but neither of them were working the night that Natalie disappeared as the hotel had been closed for renovations. So already a little suspicious.
2: So they just jumped right to murder in this scenario, not like... It's... Honestly, it is a... A big question
0: mark because on some on some news articles it seems exactly like that like they're going right for they assume something terrible happened and then on some it there are uh, co- complaints that they weren't doing enough or they weren't doing it frequently enough and I think that the majority of the divide came from that pure desperation from from yep. Beth and the family and the expectations that are set in the United States for how we handle investigation, typically handle investigations and missing persons and all that. And it's just so very different in Aruba. Um, I think they're far more tight lipped Mm -hmm. in Aruba too. So we're used to, certainly if you were in this situation with being a parent with a missing child, you would be kept, you would have a bunch of information as it went. And I don't think that was the style there. Authorities searched the two security guards' homes, but found nothing related to Natalie. So both Mickey and Abraham were released. But Beth and Jug, were furious that Yurin hadn't also been arrested. They and what seemed like now the entire American press,
1: mm-hmm. who
0: had arrived a few days before, felt that Yurin was being protected because his father, Paulus, remember worked as the um, Aruban judge.
2: Yeah, that made me uneasy when mm-hmm. you said his dad was a yeah. newly appointed judge.
0: So, feeling pressured, authorities finally arrested Yurin and the Calpo brothers on Thursday, June 9th, nearly a week and a half after Natalie's disappearance. During questioning, Yorin admitted that he lied in his initial account of what happened that night. He said that they hadn't actually dropped Natalie off at the hotel. Mm. Instead, Deepak dropped Yorin and Natalie off at the beach, where Yuren had hoped to score. Mm. But he said Natalie was so drunk that she was barely conscious. And being the gentleman that he was, he just left her there and walked home a distance Naturally. of about two miles. Very gentlemanly mm-hmm. to
2: leave her there. Yeah,
0: yeah. On June 23rd, while Joran remained in custody, his apartment and surrounding area on his parents' property, it was, I tried to look at the street view, I think it was kind of like an apartment over a garage type thing. Uh, It was searched, and on June 15th, investigators seized two vehicles, computers, and cameras. The next week, Paulus, again, that's Yarn's father, was arrested on possible suspicion of helping to cover something up. Hmm. This was largely based on his statement that he had picked up Yarn and the Kalpos at 4 in the morning after Natalie was last seen. But he later changed his story to say that he picked them up at 11 from the hotel. So this is an example of I read so, to get that those two sentences, I read so many articles and they were such conflicting information about mm. what statements were read when. Um, and I think that the main cause of that is, I guess, in Aruba, detectives do not talk to the press. So unlike here where there's statements and there's very specific, yeah. legitimate information, there must have been just passing comments that came out or things that Beth had found out that, that she then reported. So it's it was really hard to get an accurate account of why, who said what, when, and why, all the, all the Ws.
1: <laughs> I was just thinking it's probably good that the detectives don't talk to the media but that has to come with pros and cons because we have press conferences and they give information so that people aren't out speculating and releasing all these wild theories that then get published as fact they're giving you the information they can
0: exactly without ruining the investigation exactly so there was mounting pressure for the Aruban authorities to actually charge urine and the Kalpo brothers, but instead they arrested Steve Crows, a 26-year-old DJ who worked on a party boat that had been docked near the Holiday Inn the night Natalie went missing. This sounds like a lot of arrests, at least that's what I thought yeah. at this point, and it is, but that's only because investigations also are handled a little differently in Aruba. Ruben Law states that only serious suspicions from investigators, not solid evidence, are needed for a judge to rule that suspects can be held for up to 116 days. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Very and different. And a suspect can be held for three days before even facing a judge. Wow. So I liken this to people being brought in for questioning. It seems like they don't really need proof that someone has done mm-hmm. anything, but just that they suspect they could know something or be related. Mm-hmm. The police said that Yorin or the Calpos had implicated Steve, but he was released on June 27th due to insufficient evidence. Yorin's father, Paulus, was released the same day. And then on July 4th, police announced that they were also releasing Deepak and Satish, leaving Yorin as the only one behind bars.
1: All by himself. (laughs) Yes,
0: Yes, he was. For the next two months, he was. (laughs) He remained in custody and was continually questioned, so I guess not that alone. Natalie's loved ones searched relentlessly, despite worsening relations with the Aruban government and volunteers alike. Beth, a desperate mother, and Jug, a powerful man with a quick temper, had pushed away Charles Crows and Julian Angela from the paper, who had done so much to help them early on.
2: Oh, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I think they were
0: just blaming everyone, they were chasing everyone, and I can't say I would have done any differently. Mm. Um, and worse, the police were no longer cooperating with them, even though they were continuing their investigation. So new leads appeared, but brought as many dead ends. A strand of blonde hair had been found stuck to a piece of duct tape on July 17th, but after analysis from the FBI, it was determined to not be a match. A belt was also found near the lighthouse that Urin said that they had visited, but nothing came of that either. Was it hers? No. Okay. No. I think I think they thought it was his, but there's not, these articles are like three paragraphs long. They're like, <laughs> a new development in the Natalie Holloway case. A belt was found, and then that's all you ever read of it. Um, <laughs> I and hate those so articles. It, they drive me nuts. And they're also, because they're on the Wayback Machine, they're like in time's new roman and all (laughs) broken and um but yeah i mean i think that's honestly probably how it went is you heard there might be hope and then nothing and all you're left to assume is that that was not helpful information Mm. so in addition to a foot search of nearly the entire island specially trained dogs were brought in and even an f-16 used infrared to try to identify a body or a grave on July 26th, a gardener alleged that he saw urine and the Kalpos digging near one of the hotels. Mm-hmm. So authorities drained a pond nearby, but found nothing. Just like Jason Landry. So yeah. many ponds drained. Yes. On, Can you imagine what you probably did find in there, though? No, I did <laughs> so not So gross. To. So they found nothing in this pond. And on July 28th, yet another witness claimed to see the suspects dumping a body in a landfill just two days after Natalie had disappeared. So they searched the landfill. Nada. That must be so frustrating, too, to chase false leads. I'm telling you all this all in the time of a paragraph, but this was days and days and Mm -hmm. days um, and the months just went on and it must every single one, if I were Beth or Dave I would think maybe this is it. And how could how awful to be wishing that it's your daughter's body that they're finding right, is just terrible. awful. Beth finally went to the Aruban prime minister for help. This may have been the driver behind the August 26th rearrests of Deepak and Satish. But like every other time that summer, this flicker of hope was extinguished when a judge ordered that Yorin be released five days later and the brothers the day after that.
2: Was that judge's dad? No,
0: no. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> it's, un- it's unclear. There were so many articles, and this is just, I think, a result of the obsession with of the press with the story. There were so many articles accusing that. Um, and Beth, I think, was actually a driver behind this because she was so frustrated with the lack of information and in progress from the government that she even thought that the timing of all that was intentional. Because remember I said that Hurricane Katrina had hit that year. That was right on that week that uh, Urine and the brothers were released. And her theory was that the American news um, and press were focused now on Hurricane Katrina taking the pressure off. Oh. And that's why they released them. There is nothing to substantiate that. But I see if, again, I'm putting myself in her place i i don't know i might think that too if, yep. if that's been yeah. my experience with the government that whole time absolutely in reality there was no evidence no body
1: no body no crime eh,
0: eh, <laughs> eh. and it was time to let them go mm. but there was reason to be suspicious not as much, at least in my opinion, of the Calpo brothers. Though I have no doubt that they were accessories to whatever happened. Their internet searches and phone records show that they were home by around 2 a.m. But for urine, it's small details that put together tell a concerning story. For example, although the Calpos were home, phone records show that urine called Deepak around 2:40 a.m. and then again at 3 a.m. I presume to pick him up. The records also show that he was in the general location of the hotel at that point. That same night, someone broke into a fisherman's hut and stole a machete and maybe a lobster trap. <laughs> the right. Maybe a lobster <laughs> trap is why I'm giggling. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like the machete,
1: though. No, mm-hmm. and
0: I said, coincidence? I don't know. Joran certainly appears to be the type of person capable of something like this. FBI profilers described him as a person who has never been corrected by his parents. He's the boss of what happens in that house. He's the boss of the family. He is allowed to do anything. And if a person like that is in a position where a person says no, well, that person may change completely. So maybe he blew a fuse when she wouldn't have sex with him and something happened. And that was all according to the FBI profiler, although I happen to agree. I don't like that. No. Now, if you couldn't get Joran to tell you exactly what happened, who better to ask than those who were with him that night? And that is exactly what was contained on what are known as the Skeeters tapes. And we are not talking about Doug's best friend, okay? <laughs> but an, a private investigator named Jamie Skeeters, who in September 2005 had secretly taped a conversation with Deepak Kalpo. Ooh. Now, somehow, this will bring you right back to 2005 as well. The Dr. Phil Show, of all places, got a hold of this tape le- legally. Like, they Jamie Skeeters gave, him, gave them the tape and played it on air. This version that was played implied that Deepak was saying that Natalie had sex with him, his brother, and Yorin. However, the Aruban police produced a full version of the recording and it appeared that the Dr. Phil version had been edited to make it sound worse than it was. I hate that. That is not what Mm -hmm. Deepak was saying. In the Dr. Phil version, Jamie can be heard saying, I'm sure she had sex with all of you. And Deepak replies, she did. You'd be surprised how simple it was. Ooh. But in the full version, after Jamie said, I'm sure she had sex with all of you, Deepak replied, no, she didn't. Jamie pushed, saying, I mean, good, but if she did, fine. And Deepak said, you would be surprised how simple it was that night, I think likely implying how intoxicated Natalie was. Mm. Now, I'll note here as well that I read several versions of this comparison, some more blatant than others. So some of them said that Deepak said how simple it would have been versus how simple it was. And how some think that even the longer version was edited and that he actually had admitted to having sex with her. What it boils down to is, we don't even know what the real tape was. We don't know if it was edited before getting to Dr. Phil. We don't know at any point. So, um, either way, the CalPost sued the Dr. Phil show and Jamie Skeeters for defamation. The trial. This is a little bit of unnecessary information, but naturally, I had to put it in. Yep. The trial was set to begin on October twelfth, twenty eleven which seemed outrageously late for me. But when I read through kind of all the articles related to this, it seems like delays and considerations were relentless. I saw articles all the way into 2014 where they were debating if Deepak was considered a limited purpose public figure. So they were trying to figure out if they could even proceed with this lawsuit. But that just seemed really late because this was all in like 2005. Yeah. Anyway, amidst this drama, Joran had officially graduated from high school because remember, he was 17 when all this happened and he left Aruba to go to college in Holland. Frustrated that Joran had been able to go on with his life, Beth worked with Alabama's government to launch a boycotting campaign against travel to Aruba in an effort to pressure the government into taking action. Oh, wow. wow. Oh, oh yeah. She she went hard. So And it kind of shows how it makes sense that she had a pretty bad and worsening relationship with the government the aruban Mm -hmm. government she was so successful that several southern states including alabama pledged to boycott travel to aruba until the investigation was handled better now authorities were still conducting their investigation but it would be months before they made another arrest wow Taking matters into their own hands, Beth and Dave, so again, that's Natalie's father, sued Yorin for, quote, malicious, wanton, and willful disregard of rights, safety, and well-being of the plaintiffs and their daughter, Natalie Holloway. But the judge dismissed it. The next year, they also tried suing the Calpos, but that too was dismissed. So they are throwing everything they can at this investigation. Things got interesting again, though, on March 1st, 2006, when you voluntarily appeared on ABC's primetime, in this interview, he confirmed that he met Natalie while he was playing poker at the hotel's casino, Natalie and her friends were also gambling. So they had struck up a conversation. He says that they had asked him to join them at Carlos and Charlie's later that night and that he had originally declined. It was a Sunday and he had school the next morning.
2: Very responsible.
0: Oh yes. Besides he said Sunday was a boring night for the bar. He called his father to pick him up. Joran didn't have a driver's license. You actually have to be 18 in Aruba. So at 18, you can gamble, drink, and drive. Okay. Hopefully not altogether.
1: Okay.
0: Anyway, Joran asked his dad to bring him home around 10 or 11. So this is actually consistent with Paulus's revised statement of the timing. And he knew his father wouldn't approve of him going to the bar. He was already displeased with Joran's frequency at the casino. So he decided
2: to go home and then sneak out. And that's when he called Deepak to pick him up. So was Yoren saying that those were the phone calls that you told us about earlier? Like that first one to Deepak was like, oh, come pick me up. I'm sneaking out of my dad's place. No, because that
0: was much later. Okay. So the timing for him sneaking out was probably, I think he said around midnight because he was saying he wasn't even at the bar for that long. Okay. The calls that he had made, uh, that he claimed he made to Deepak earlier, well, that I told you earlier, were at 2.40 and 3 a.m. So, they met up with Natalie and her friends at the bar, and much drinking and dancing ensued until the bar closed. He says Natalie asked if she could go with them, so they all piled into Deepak's car, Satish in the front seat, Yaron and Natalie in the back. While they were talking in the car, she said she wanted to see his house, so he was hoping they'd have sex. Mm -hmm. They spent much of the ride making out in the back seat while Deepak drove. Yuren says they did actually make it to his house, but when they parked, Natalie said she wanted to then go see the ocean. They drove to the beach near the Marriott, which is maybe half a mile north of the Holiday Inn. Deepak dropped Yuren and Natalie off at the beach and agreed to come get them later. Yuren had intended to have sex with her, but he says he didn't because he didn't have a condom. So they just cuddled and then walked a little bit on the beach. Okay, so not because she was too intoxicated this time, Mm -hmm. because
2: he did not have a condom. Yes, gentleman. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So finally, he said it was getting late and he had school the next day, so he wanted to get home, but Natalie didn't want to leave, so he told her he was calling Deepak to pick him up. It ended up actually being Satish who arrived, and Yorin got in the car and left Natalie on the beach. This is all what Yorin said on that interview on ABC. And that's that call
2: that probably happened at 2.45. Yes,
0: I think so. And what my guess is, if, if we're to believe what Yorin said, is he probably called at 2.40, Deepak was probably asleep and then he (laughs) called at three o'clock and Satish agreed to get him is what I think. Now, overall, it's pretty consistent with what his revised story was when he was last detained and witness statements possibly give credit to it. Natalie was certainly under the influence. Several people came forward saying Natalie had bought drugs that night Mm. and was drinking heavily, including doing body shots on the bar.
2: That's so rough, though, because, uh, oh, man, again, this really is a lot of parallels to Jason yes. Landry here. Like, just because you bought drugs, you wanted to do something crazy, you're on vacation. Exactly. Like, now now it's sort of like clouds how people think about her. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So the next flicker of hope for Natalie's loved ones came on April 15th, 2006, when 19-year-old Jeffrey Van Cromvoir was arrested in connection with Natalie's disappearance. Jeffrey worked for his family's private security company that patrols beaches outside of Aruban Hotels. He also sold drugs, but possibly GHB, which is the date rape drug. But like all of the previous arrests, without enough evidence to prove his involvement, he was released on April 22nd. A short time later, on May 17th, Guido Weaver was arrested I I did not make up all these names. They really, these are the real names. I love Guido Weaver. It's a good one. (laughs) Yep. So Guido worked at the casino at the Holiday Inn and was friends with Joran. But like Jeffrey, although he was a suspect, he was not formally charged and he was released six days later. Around the same time, likely in an effort to deal with his grief and frustrations, Dave Holloway published a book in April 2006 called Aruba, the Tragic Untold Story of Natalie Holloway and Corruption in Paradise. Jurin also wrote a book published in 2007 called The Case of Natalie Holloway, Entirely in Dutch. And many people think he was just taking an opportunity to make money from the situation because it doesn't go into detail about his last moments with Natalie and basically just restates a lot of what he had already said in previous statements. So he's not producing more information. He is just trying to make some money.
1: Well, I don't blame him if your (laughs) reputation is completely ruined, especially if you're innocent. If you Mm -hmm. get tagged... In a a infamous case, and your Mm -hmm. reputation is ruined, you might as well make money off of it with a book deal. Exactly. So I mean,
2: yeah, logical. Yeah, you probably can't get hired anywhere else because they're like, "Oh, you're that guy that maybe probably did something to that girl." Yeah, you
1: murdered her. Like judged by the media. So,
0: and I think he's still in college at this point, so he's just preparing.
2: Mm -hmm. Makes sense.
0: Now, perhaps feeling that they were in over their heads or maybe sick of dealing with the media and Natalie's family, the Aruban authorities requested that the Netherlands take over. That's why I told you about the constituent country. Got it. Get it? Okay. Listen, learn. Under new leadership, the investigation continued. When they originally searched at Jaren's house, it had been limited just to his apartment and personal effects. Now, in May 2007, they had permission to search the whole property. The Netherlands Forensic Institute, basically the Dutch FBI, dug around Joran's house for two days. But like Groundhog's Day, there were no reports of anything oh. being uncovered, although they did take journals, computers, and a few other items. The house where Deepak and Satish Kalpo lived was also searched, but there was nothing taken from for evidence there either. A few months later, Joran and the Kalpos were rearrested, this is now the third time, on November 21st but again there was not enough evidence to keep them and the calpos were released december 1st and yoren was was released on december 7th they must not have had
1: attorneys because in the us they would be claiming that it's harassment
0: at this point i i feel like they should have said this there too they did have attorneys but this is just how it was in aruba you That's could crazy. be brought in and held and it's, I think arrest has such a stronger connotation for us here. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't seem, at least from what I gathered, to be such a serious thing there. It's crazy. But either way, with nothing further to go on, authorities closed the case on December 18th, 2007, two and a half years after Natalie was last seen alive. It's interesting that they would close it mm-hmm. as opposed to just declare it cold. Again, I think that's probably a difference in, in countries because I think... I think I read that they could just reopen it if new evidence had surfaced. So I think it's essentially the same thing. I just thought a Ruby in.
1: It's a Ruby in love. <laughs> oh, we have
0: a new one to add to the collection. That's good. We're gonna good. we're gonna true crimeify all the uh, Disney songs. Uh-huh. <laughs> So Beth and Dave were frustrated at this point. There had been no progress. It had been years. They still have no more information than literally the day that that Natalie had disappeared. So they decided to hire Tim Miller, a private investigator. He was especially invested in finding Natalie. Years earlier, the body of his own daughter was found after she had been missing for two years. So he founded Texas EcuSearch as a memorial to her. Oh, Feeling that they'd exhausted their search on land and remembering that potentially coincidental break-in into the fisherman's hut, Search embarked on an offshore mission. But finding Natalie's remains in the ocean was more challenging than finding a needle in, the haysta- in a haystack. They'd need highly sensitive equipment to make the search possible. Enter a man named Louis Schaefer, who had been following Natalie's story and offered to help. He just happened to have made his millions in underwater exploration. Wow.
1: Convenient. Yes.
0: Throughout the month of December, his ship scanned the seafloor until on Christmas Eve 2007, they saw something. It was a large lobster trap containing what appeared to be human remains. Oh, um, oh, wow. Four days later, they dropped a remotely operated vehicle to inspect further. And I'm kind of picturing like the scene from Titanic yes, right now. Exactly what been I'm picturing. It years. The images they got back were promising. So promising, in fact, that the Aruban police authorized a diver to go down the next day. But sadly, the diver verified this was not Natalie, and it may not even be human remains. Mm. They did still collect what material they could and gave it to the FBI just in case there was any useful forensic evidence, but it was yet another dead end. I was so hopeful. I know. I was like, oh, and man. so were they. So they found the body, but the case is unsolved. Yeah. That's what I thought for a yep. minute. I know. And and there's a quote from, um, I think it was Tim Miller, that said that he thought it had been um, poetic, that it was Christmas Eve, that they found it, and they just had such hope that maybe, maybe they
2: had found her. That's what I I was thinking about, the date mm-hmm. a lot. Like, oh, yeah. that has to be so hard. You've already had all these other false exactly. alarms, false sightings. Yep. And yep. then on Christmas Eve, you're thinking like, man, I've got some hope finally. Yes. And it's just another dead end exactly. yet again. Exactly.
0: But things weren't quiet for long. In early 2008, not to be confused with 2008, and late, <laughs> Peter DeVries, a Dutch TV crime reporter, secretly videoed Joran saying that he had witnessed Natalie's death and arranged to dispose of her body. Oh, wow. In November 2007, someone by the name of Patrick van der had reached out to Peter to say that he had become friends with urine and thought that urine was not telling the entire truth. So after some discussion, Patrick agreed to record urine, but they had planned to begin recording on November 22nd or the day after Urine and the Cowpos had been arrested. So after they had to wait until urine yep. was released. And when he was, he called Patrick and bragged that he hadn't told the police anything. He said that his father, who had, by the way, sued the government for imprisoning Yorin without reason. So there you go. I forgot about okay. that part. He said his father was going to win the case. And when Patrick asked if Yorin thought they'd ever find Natalie's body, Yorin said, quote, The ocean is big, Patrick. The ocean is big. Wow. On a second recording of a conversation between the two, Yorin told Patrick that Natalie had begun convulsing like a seizure when they were being intimate on the beach. He said he shook her. Specifically, he said, I was shaking that bitch. Mm. Wow. But she died in his arms. He told Patrick that he then called a friend, Dory Rodriguez, and told him what happened and then asked for his help to dispose of Natalie's body since Dory had a boat. An article I read noted that there is a sandbar off the north end of the island, and if one were to dump a body beyond that where it's open to the Atlantic Ocean, the currents are such that the body would never be found. Now, Joran's lawyer said that he was high during these conversations, and he just made up the story to impress Patrick. But there are almost 10 hours of tape where he doesn't sound like he's joking. Regardless, a judge determined that there was not sufficient evidence to arrest Joran again. Wow. Dory, the friend that Joran claimed had helped him, actually came forward and said that none of this was true. In fact, he was barely friends with Joran. They had just played poker together. Moreover, he didn't even own a boat, <laughs> and he hadn't been in Aruba at the time of Natalie's disappearance.
2: Oh, okay. So may- maybe he is making up some of this stuff. It's a weird way to try Jerry. to impress your friend. but Yes.
0: And it was later revealed that Patrick had actually known Yorin for years and already knew some of the information Yorin had told him, but Patrick was never arrested or questioned.
2: So is Patrick trying to just get his 15 minutes of fame in all of this, th- we think? Mm-hmm. I think so. I don't really know. But he did write a book. Also, of course he did, <sighs> like everyone else. Yeah,
0: his was called Overboard. Um, I did not read all of these books. Uh, Shame after, on you! I, after all of my articles, I decided that, that was plenty. Um, You're missing data. Yeah, it's, I, it's <laughs> trust me. It's actually as I was writing these, I was like, I wish I knew. Maybe I should read a synopsis. No, no. <laughs> did
2: it physically pain you to not yes, read those? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: If you if you had given me more time before this case and said, oh, you should just record in a couple of weeks, I totally would have read them. Um unrelated patrick was arrested the same year for hitting his girlfriend with a crowbar so i don't wow. think he's a wonderful person okay. mm. no in a sad turn of events see i have plenty of unrelated information in here in a sad <laughs> turn of events peter who was the reporter through all this was shot in the head and killed in two in 2021 in a murder that was actually filmed and posted online by those believed responsible what the what? fuck yeah I'm not sure exactly why he was targeted, but his profession had him exposing the crimes of really dangerous people. So I'm sure it was related to that, but really crazy.
1: I think all I've said for the past 20 (laughs) minutes
0: is, wow. That's like, you said this earlier, Colby, like, I'm pretty sure all I knew about this was that it was Aruba, that she was a young girl who had disappeared while on vacation. Um, I did not know any of this, so... Having apparently not learned his lesson from earlier interviews, although did he ever really have consequences? I don't think so. No. In November 2008, Yurim participated in another interview on Fox News' Is On the Record. In this appearance, he changed his story. He claimed, now, now we're really changing our story. He claimed he met a man in the hotel casino in February 2005, so that was the year Natalie disappeared, who said to, quote, bring him a blonde girl. For money, of course. So he would get about $10,000 for it. Yorin notified this man when they were leaving the bar with Natalie, and the man said to meet him at the Marriott. Yorin says Deepak and Satish were in on it. He gave them each uh, about $1,000. And when they got to the beach, Yorin and Natalie made out a bit, But then the guy came up, grabbed Natalie, gave Yorin a bag, which I don't know of what, maybe of money, Mm -hmm. and then brought her to a boat that was already in the water. He says Natalie was drunk, so that's why she didn't struggle.
2: Human trafficking? Is that what we're... I think maybe. that's what he's alluding
0: to. I don't really know. Um, but he later said that his claims in this interview were also a lie. So I feel like we need Maury here. Yeah. And hmm. it determine it's a
2: lie. Oh, that's so what I was doing in the last episode, or one of the last yes. episodes. Where yes. like, and the Lori- lie
1: detector test determined
2: that yes. yeah, was a lie.
0: <laughs> exactly. It was definitely the Lori Fallow case. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get me
2: started on that bitch.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> So at this point, speaking of terrible people, I I am definitely of the opinion that Joran is not an innocent man. He did something. He is most definitely a liar. Um, But maybe there's some bits of truth to his story. Maybe she really did die of some kind of medical emergency and he panicked. I'm not convinced completely that he murdered her.
2: Yeah. What incentive? Like, what would be the motive to murder her? I could definitely more realistically see somebody's going to pay me money for right. a girl yep. that matches this description right i could see taking advantage of her on the beach but why why kill her
0: yeah i i don't know and again he's a kid not yeah. that, certainly not that kids can't and and i Christ guess he's, yeah exactly and he was 17 and he was a big guy he was i forget how tall but a very tall guy um certainly capable but yeah i'm not convinced i see the doubt i have more than reasonable doubt mm. But let's fast forward two years. On March 29th, 2010, Yurin contacted Beth, that's Natalie's mother, to say that he would tell her where Natalie's remains were if she would give him $250,000. Okay, you're Casual. Okay. He said he'd tell her the location for twenty five dollars and then take the remaining money once the remains were officially identified. Believing that Yurin had killed her daughter and would have this kind of information, Beth immediately sent him the twenty five dollars Wow. When the transfer cleared, Yoren told Beth that his father, Paulus, had actually been the one to bury Natalie, and it was near a house. And he provided directions to it. While Beth organized a search, and this took quite a bit of time, she's back in the United States at this point. Yoren traveled from the Netherlands to Colombia and then Peru, so just a little gallivanting. A little field trip. But soon after, it was discovered that the house that Yoren referred to hadn't even been built in 2005. When confronted with this fact, Yurin admitted he made the whole thing up. He's
1: really playing with fire, fucking yeah. oh, yeah. around like this when he is already a
0: suspect. He, he's gonna find out. So, <laughs> uh, an FBI-led U.S. attorney filed a suit against Yurin for extortion and wire fraud on June third, twenty ten. Yass, yep, yass. But you know what? That soon wouldn't matter. Authorities had bigger fish to fry when it came to Yurin's crimes. He was about to be charged with first-degree murder not of Natalie on the same exact day that urine's arrest warrant was issued for the extortion and wire fraud charges. He was arrested in Chile for murdering Stephanie Flores Ramirez while they were in Peru. Oh, wow. Stephanie just 21 was the daughter of Peruvian businessman and race car driver, Ricardo Flores. Her body was discovered by hotel staff on June 3rd, 2010 stabbed to death in her room. Police believe that she had been killed Sunday, May 30th, or the five-year anniversary of Natalie's disappearance. Oh no, that's terrible. Stephanie, too, broke our grim rule. She lit up a room. Her brother said she was always smiling, always nice to everyone. In her third year of college, studying business administration in order to join the family enterprise, she was very determined and successful. Unfortunately, she was also very trusting. So maybe to take a break as a reward for her hard work, she had attended a poker tournament at the hotel that May evening where she encountered Yorin. Sound familiar? Yep, it sounds very familiar. Mm -hmm. So after a late night, she followed Yorin to a hotel room around 5 in the morning, but like the Hotel California, she could never leave. Yorin confessed that he killed her because when he had left to pick up some food, she had started to look him up on the internet using his laptop. Uh-oh, she was asking questions about oh, his no. involvement with Natalie's disappearance, and many believed that she might have also found some incriminating evidence. They started fighting and he attacked her. Joran hit Stephanie repeatedly, strangled her, shook her, and threw her on the floor. He then used his own shirt to suffocate her, breaking her neck.
2: Oh my gosh, of course, Stephanie, how violent he to break someone's neck. And he
0: showed no remorse. After she was dead, he went downstairs and brought food back up to the room where he ate breakfast next to Stephanie's cooling body. No. Okay. I'm pretty sure he murdered Natalie. So that was feeling, my, uh, that was my exact thought. Now I'm I, feeling away. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't remember this whatsoever no. in relation to no. Natalie's
2: case. I have opinions now. Yes. Well, same. And like I was just saying, what would be the motive for murdering Natalie? I don't know. I see a. Very clear motive for murdering Stephanie if she Mm -hmm. found something or she asked the wrong question or I I don't know. Probably like a a strong Peruvian woman. She probably has like a lot of like gumption or spunk to her. So she probably could have been like very confrontational in like the the best possible way. I mean, and it was just the wrong person to step to.
0: Well, I think of what that FBI profiler said of Yaren, that he was not used to being told no. He was used to being the boss of things. And it's possible that that's also what happened with Natalie. Is We'll, we'll talk theories at the end, but maybe she did try to deny him and yeah. he wasn't having it. So, When Yaren left the hotel room, leaving, of course, Stephanie's body just in the room, he took her cash, jewelry, credit cards, ID, and her car, although he abandoned the car shortly after. In Peru, there are no juries, so three judges were assigned to decide his fate. This is probably for the best for Yarn. He would not have fared well with a panel of his peers. Even the police were visibly rough with him as they brought him from a transport vehicle to the courthouse. And people actually threw rotten vegetables at him. They were just so angry (laughs) at love senseless homicide. There was plenty of physical and circumstantial evidence to convict Yorin of Stephanie's murder. When he was arrested, he had a bag of bloody clothes with him. Oh my gosh. And they had CCTV footage of him entering the hotel room with Stephanie and then leaving alone. They, there were cameras yep. all over the hotel. There's, the list goes on. The maximum sentence he was facing was 30 years, which actually seemed, seemed pretty low to me. Although the Peruvian justice system often issues a lighter sentence in cases in which the suspect confesses, on January 13th, 2012, Urin was sentenced to 28 years in prison, so nearly the full 30. They gave him the two off. Yeah, exactly. And in another strange connection between Stephanie's case and Natalie's, Urin's sentencing came just a day after Natalie was legally declared dead. Wow. Which was at the request of uh, primarily Dave, her father, Um, originally Beth was against it for obvious reasons, but Dave was doing it just because he was like still paying insurance on here. There were a whole lot of, uh, kind of almost administrative things that are caused. Procedural. um, Mm -hmm. Exactly. So despite Natalie's legal death and the case seemingly going cold, glimmers of hope still emerged in November, 2010, a piece of jawbone was found on a beach in Aruba and was tested to see if it belonged to Natalie. It was found in the sand just a mile south of the Holiday Inn. Tourists spotted it and turned it into their hotel, who in turn alerted the police. There was still a molar attached, so everyone was optimistic that they'd be able to connect it to Natalie. But sadly, just a week later, investigators confirmed the jaw did not belong to Natalie. Who did it belong to? That was also my question. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely human. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Yep just floated ashore yep.
1: they're like well it's not natalie's throw there's it away
0: a couple examples of things like that happening like a, a lot of they found even in the earlier searches they found so many bones a lot of them were animal you know there's just a lot to be found okay the some. animal
1: fine but like yeah. if you find a jawbone you're mm-hmm. like well it's not natalie's okay well then
0: whose is it yeah. i don't i, I don't know <laughs> Sorry. i'm upset by that i know that's, that's what you choose to, i was gonna say that's that's the thing you're gonna focus on okay, that's the <laughs> one I'm gonna die okay. <laughs> excellent so dave continued to search for his daughter hiring another private investigator tj ward to help and in 2017 they got a new lead there's a whole series that i watched on peacock called the disappearance of natalie holloway that follows dave's experience with this but i'll share just some of the highlights a man named Gabriel came forward and claimed he knew someone who had become friends with urine in 2010 to whom Urine had confessed. The friend, an American named John Ludwig, said that Urine told him Natalie had overdosed after taking drugs, drugs that Urine had put in her drink at the bar. Yep. He says he panicked and called his dad for help. John also said that Joran had offered to give him $1,500 to dig up Natalie's body, which had been buried in Aruba's National Forest and dispose of her remains. So John's information brought Dave and TJ to a location where they did discover human skeletal remains. But once tested, it was determined that they did not belong to Natalie. And in this one, I did write a larger question is whose remains were they? Because they were.
2: Oh, find a lot of
0: bones yeah. out there.
1: <laughs> this reminds me. What is that? What is... Um, was it cereal... That forest where they're like, if you dig, you're going to find a body. Yeah. Like, it might not be the body you're looking for, but you'll find a body. Like, what is going on in this one happy
0: island? I know. Why are there so many bones? They're killing all the unhappy people. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. That's why they're so happy.
0: (laughs) No, it does make you question about, like, the whole conspiracy theory on the corruption and all that and what was happening with prosecuting. I mean, I did not go deep into any of that stuff, but uh, it does make you wonder. But they would never get the answer, at least as it relates to John, because he was later stabbed to death in 2018 by a woman he tried to kidnap. So just a oh. really terrible cast of characters here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: There it yeah. is. Wow.
0: Yeah. 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 And I mean, what else can be done? Unless Jaren speaks out, I'm not sure we'll ever know. And he's spoken, quote unquote, the truth many times, only to take it back later. So. But he confessed about Stephanie, right? He did. But That's... he there was... So much evidence. They have video of him all the way from the front desk up to the room, leaving the room alone. Stephanie, you know, the, literally, the. Um, I'll post a picture of it. The CCTV is pointed in the hallway right at their room. So you see them very clearly <laughs> going in and only Yorin coming out. Um, but- I I mean, I think the odds that he knows what happened to her are basically 100%. Yes. I am not sure that he murdered her, but I think that the odds are pretty... Again, prior to learning about Stephanie's murder, I would have said, I don't know, maybe something could have happened. I'm pretty confident that he was to blame. Um, I don't know about his father's involvement. His father died a few years later, um, so we'll never know for sure there either, but I don't I don't have any... I mean, Joran kept bringing it up, which kind of seems strange to me why... It wasn't Mm -hmm. like he was really trying to redirect blame, but there are a lot of instances where in the stories he mentioned his father's involvement. But um, I
2: just... I don't know. I don't know. Is it possible that his father really did help? What you told us about Joran is that he, he He ruled the roost, right in his yeah. house. what he wanted was yeah. done. So it, for somebody that has a relationship like that with their parents, yeah. maybe maybe he helped him do something. who This is like another case we talked about, whose dad was it? Oh, um Paul. Uh, Christmas. Oh, yeah. That's what it's just reminding me of is like someone's parent who's like not like happy about the situation, but like they kind of go into instinct mode and they want to protect their kid. There's nothing they can do about the deceased at that point. I get that
0: vibe too because it's just, I, it doesn't seem like he was so resourceful to figure it out on his own. And like her body's, I would be very confident that her body's not on the island. I think it's been whatever we decided way too many years (laughs) now Mm -hmm. 18 years now um and i i just think they would have found it if i think the odds that it is and i say i shouldn't say it the odds that her body is out in the ocean somewhere i think are extremely high i would agree i think in the
2: ocean i think every time he told a story there was probably a little bit of truth in the story Mm -hmm. yep yep i think so um
0: and i think i mean If I'm Beth and Dave, I think I would endlessly hold out hope. Um, Beth actually created the Natalie Holloway Resource Center based at the National Museum of Crime and Punishment in downtown Washington. The nonprofit center aims to provide families with an action plan, examples of missing persons posters, contacts, media liaisons, and other services to guide families through crises. Officials also say they'll provide educational programs on safe traveling and crime prevention and encourage careers in forensic science and law enforcement. Um, and I, I think when that series ended that I watched on Dave doing all the searching for his daughter, I don't think he'll ever give up. Um, if I'm him, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking I was right. She shouldn't have gone, you know, like yeah. and obviously I, I hope he doesn't have any, any tiny bit of blame whatsoever but I'm sure that you're feeling like, man, if we had just not let her go, right. if we had just kept right. her home, if it had just been one more day or anything, mm-hmm. um, so terribly tragic. I think you know, you, just like I said with with Jason's story, um, it's just heartbreaking because you yep. will likely
2: never know. And somehow, never knowing is worse than knowing that your child yes. is no longer on this earth. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Just listening to all of this, I kind of do think that. Okay, I believe that they went to the beach that night after. So like, I because that came up enough times, and why you know it, that's nothing nefarious about just being on the beach mm-hmm. in general. So I do believe that they would have gone to the beach. I I don't know that he intended to kill her. Still, like, I, he definitely intended to kill Stephanie, but mm-hmm. I think it could have been like something with the drugs that he gave her. Like, maybe he gave her a little bit too much of something, or maybe she had. I don't even know, but like some kind of pre-existing condition that something interacted with and how would he have known? The police actually way early on in the
0: investigation asked Beth about that if she had ever had seizures before. So that now we have like no, I feel like if this were a United States case, we would have seen some kind of interview transcripts or something by now. We have nothing. So I wonder if Yarn actually did answer and say like she had this seizure mm-hmm. and all that. Either that's just his story and he was sticking to it or there was something legitimate. Um but there she had never had seizures know. or anything. But she's also like, I don't know if she she very much could have been a responsible um and smart and successful student prior to going to Aruba and have drank. Yeah. But she might not have and if that's the case, maybe she really Or even if she had drank before, just had way too much alcohol. And maybe there was some kind of reaction with the drug. There's only so much
2: a body can take. So yeah, I'm with you. I do think he disposed of her somehow. I would not be surprised if his father was involved trying to protect his son. It Mm -hmm. would be weird for him to call the friends instead, like Deepak and Satish at 2.45 or 3, unless he's like, oh, guys, you're not going to believe the freaking night that I just had. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's true. I
0: don't know. I don't know why... And that's that's phone records, so that's truth yep. that we know that he called. Um, maybe maybe he did have his father help, and then while that was happening, he asked them to pick him up. I don't know.
2: Or his dad could have helped him after the fact, like with what to say oh, yeah. and and what not that to I say.
0: Think he definitely did. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm very no, it's, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think he definitely did and was definitely coaching him yes. on responses and how to articulate things um, to make him look okay. But I don't know. It's it's as we always say, it's incredibly tragic, uh, incredibly frustrating. I don't know why I did this to myself because I don't <laughs> like unsolved cases, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's so much more to this than I realized when yeah. I started down this path. So,
1: yeah, I didn't know any of this background information no. though. We were in high school.
0: Yeah. 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 Just, just had started just past like sophomore year, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Around there, so anyway, so hey, if you're enjoying grim, uh, there are a number of ways to get more grim or grimmer. I don't know grimmer, grimmer, get <laughs> as
1: grim as you can get, get
0: as grim as you can get. I like that. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at grim crime podcast and on Facebook, just search grim a true crime podcast, where you can see all of the case photos and all sorts of other great content. If that's not enough, and you just need more grim, more cabo, anyone. You can sign up for our Patreon, which Marina mentioned at the top of the show. Depending on which tier you choose, you can get bonus episodes and even access to our Discord server, which we also mentioned, where it's all grim all the time. As a reminder, we are streaming on just about every platform, but if there are other places you prefer to listen to podcasts and we're not there, let us know. You can send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com, and that's where you can also send case suggestions or DM us or just contact us in any way. We love suggestions. So thanks for being here and remember, listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future is grim.